everybody tonight. Look like everybody's having a good time fellowshipping, and I tell you what, some Wednesday nights it'd be good to stay home and sleep, but got to come to church. Can't can't miss church for that. Everybody's doing good. Awesome, awesome. It is so good to see all of you. Thank you all for being here tonight. Those of you joining us tonight via live stream, Facebook Live, thank you as well for being with us. It is a great honor that you take time to be with us, to, you know, on, on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, and it's not something we take lightly. I want you to know that. If our ushers would go ahead and make their way, we'll give you an opportunity to give, and then we'll do some announcements. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Lord, we know that you're the giver of all good things, and your word makes clear that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask that you accept these gifts and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, God bless you as you give tonight. We'll do some announcements. For the month of January and February, both months, all students will remain in the sanctuary on Wednesday nights. So remember that. And that is for the month of January and February. Tuesday, February the 4th, first Tuesday evening prayer in the sanctuary at 7.30. So don't forget about that. That's this coming Tuesday. So you certainly won't be a part of that. And you can pre-order your Valentine's Day chocolate-covered strawberries Via the, church, via the website or at Grand Central. So you can certainly do that. Now, if we're not going to have white chocolate, then Brother Wheeler probably won't be a part of it. <laughs> we'll have white chocolate. Thank God. Saturday, February the 8th, is our annual ladies' tea. If you haven't signed up for the tea but would like to come, please see Sister Sheila Landry for a ticket. So if you have not signed up and you still want to come and be a part of the tea, just see Sister Sheila Land. Raise your hand, Sister Sheila, <laughs> and she'll take care of you. And that, there will be a short meeting with all of the tea hostesses in Classroom 2 immediately following service tonight. So be sure and be a part of that if you're going to be a part of the tea. And as always, you can stay tuned with what's happening at Grace Church via our church app or by clicking the events tab on the website. You know, I was somewhere, and I forget where I was, and I was listening to a song that they had playing in that place, and it so happened to be the song of Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It? And it's a good song. It's a great song, actually. I like the song. Now, any of you know me, you know I don't have any rhythm. I can't dance. So I wasn't up there dancing because I got no rhythm. <laughs> but I want to answer the question to that song. What's love got to do with it? Well, I say love has everything to do with it. Because God is love, the Bible says, and without it, he has nothing to do with it. God is love, and without love, God has nothing to do with it. So that's the answer to that question. 
Everybody's looking at me funny. <laughs> God is love, folks. God loves us. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that, that you know, we've been having some tremendous, tremendous services here. And I know tonight's not going to be an exception to that. So if you wouldn't mind, clap your hands tonight as pastor comes. I walked out and all I heard was something about dancing. I, I don't know where all that was going and maybe Brother Wheeler and I can have a conversation after church. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Great to see everybody. Thank you for being here and uh, so thankful that you're coming consistently on Wednesday night. Another amazing crowd here tonight and uh, we welcome our students and our uh, kids tonight into the sanctuary, and I know they're having so much fun, they can't hardly stand it, and uh, so, uh, but I'm glad all of you folks are here, you're here consistently, and I'm very, very thankful for that. What a great time this past Sunday, had a great, great church service Sunday, and um, I'm very thankful for all the things that God is doing in our lives, in our families, and uh, for our kids, and it's just been a great, great time. I mentioned at men's prayer this past Saturday morning that I, I believe God is is reviving some of us here at Grace Church. I think maybe we've let some things slip, and uh, I believe God is drawing us back closer and closer to Him. I'm sure all of you that are keeping up with the news uh, heard this week that President Trump has signed a, a peace agreement with the Palestinians in Israel. Um, I believe that has prophetical things written all over it. And uh, again, reminding us that um, I believe we're in the season of the end time. And uh, we keep getting affirmation of that uh, around the world. Uh, there was an earthquake in the, uh, I believe, around Jamaica, somewhere in the Caribbean uh, this week. Those things keep happening. Uh, now is not a time to stray away from God. Now is a time to draw closer to God to keep your calling and election sure. Uh, you can't let your faith fail. You can't let your footing slip. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of accountability to serve God. It does. And it's not always easy. But I can promise everybody here tonight in this building it's going to be worth the trip. It's going to be worth all of that one of these days. Well, in talking about this uh, past Sunday, uh, I was absolutely amazed. I was absolutely amazed that our media booth turned into an altar. And I was real pumped about that. When someone can pray through in the media booth, we are having revival. <laughs> See, even as I speak of it now, they're not listening to me. They're talking about something else. And uh, there's, there's things that goes on back there, there's breakfast and donuts and, that you can't see. So when there's a move of God in the media booth, then we're absolutely having revival. I'm teasing. Those are great folks back there, and we love them dearly, even though the donuts and all that is the truth. I'm not teasing about that. But uh, I'm so happy to announce that my youngest grandson, Joseph Watley, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost this past Sunday in the media booth. Isn't that amazing? 
Thank the Lord. And we all have been working so diligently with him to even pray. And he's felt real self-conscious about it, and, and some kids do, and it's understandable. I told Casey after church Sunday, I said, I hate that I had to dangle my own grandson over hell for a while to get him to get over all of that. <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it got the job done. Joseph, we have a certificate for you, baby. Come up here and get it. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. If I have to say so my own self, this, this Joseph is absolutely amazing. Uh, he is an amazing Bible quizzer. He loves the Lord. He loves Grace Church. And I'm very thankful for him. And I know God's going to do some amazing things for him. You believe that? Thank the Lord. This will tell you when you got the Holy Ghost, January the 26th, 2020. Take it to your mom and she'll take care of it. See you later. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Love our kids. Love all of our kids. I, our, I don't know what to call our boys sometimes, our young fellows. I cut up with them continually, and I need to quit it because they're not going to have any respect for me one of these days. But I virtually call all of our girls boys, and they still get offended over it. And I still get corrected, but they'll walk up and I'll say, hey, boy, how are you? And uh, so, uh, but they, they love me anyway in spite of it all. Um, I know Annabelle corrects me virtually every time I call her boy. Uh, Hadley corrects me when I call her boy. And uh, Millie corrects me when I call her boy. And uh, you get the point. But calling boys girls just don't do the same for me, whatever. Just It's kind of a different thing. I even called Elaine a boy and uh, Ella boy. And they understand. It's a term of endearment. And uh, I love our, our kids. And I'm glad to know that I guess most of them, if not all of them, that are praying at age has, and now has the baptism of the Holy Ghost has received and been baptized. If there's one or two that haven't, we're working on it. Thank the Lord. I love our kids. You love our kids tonight? Give all of them some appreciation. Well, tonight for Bible study, I still didn't bring the cotton candy machine, but it's not going to be as bad uh, as it's been over the past several Wednesday nights. I'm so glad to have that over with. Uh, my feet feel about two inches off the floor here tonight. And uh, 30 years ago would not have been as difficult. But I know that the teaching and preaching that I've been doing is not that acceptable in our church culture anymore. And I refuse to submit to that stuff. I just refuse to submit to culture. And um, it, it, culture has never taken anybody to heaven. And it's not going to start now. The, we, we still have to have the word of God. We still have to have it preached. And we still have to have it taught. And we're going to do our best to continue to do that here. I will make this statement in light of all the things that I've taught this year and preached this year. If I didn't care about you, I wouldn't say it. But because I care, uh, we're going to put ourselves out there a little bit and teach what God, preach what God lays on our heart. So tonight I want to talk to you about another subject that most of you dearly love and some of you need to be reminded of. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, the Bible said, And blessed be the Most High God, 
which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. So I want to talk to you tonight for a little while about the biblical history of tithing. I know a lot of people have their own point of view about it, but I'm just going to, as I typically do, I'm going to just give you Bible tonight. And uh, you can fuss with God about it if you don't agree, but I'm glad to, to know tonight most people here agree. Across the board, Grace Church is excellent and amazing with tithing. But we do know that there are some folks that struggle with the idea. They struggle about how to do it, and they, they struggle with maybe not doing it properly and consistently enough. So I want to talk about that here tonight. And um, you will be very happy to know that Brother Jason is preaching this coming Sunday. And uh, maybe he'll bring his cotton candy machine, I don't know. And then I've asked Brother Dave to teach next Wednesday night just to give you folks a reprieve uh, from, from Pastor. The biblical history of tithing. A lot of people have a misunderstanding when it comes to tithing in our modern-day church culture. So it's important that the church teaches what the Bible really says about giving and tithing to the Lord because the Bible says... Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Brother Tenney said numerous times that it's one thing for a person to give God their heart, but it's a whole nother matter for a person to give God their pocketbook. I thought somebody would say amen to that. Maybe you're struggling with that more than I thought you were. Our tithing and giving back, or lack of it, becomes an issue of the heart. And people have various reasons that they'd prefer not to tithe. Some people have been burned. Some people believe that the pastor doesn't respect and, and use that money properly. Let me tell everybody something here tonight very loud and clear. Once you put your tithe envelope in that offering receptacle, your job is done. Once whatever the pastor does, if I took tithe money and went to a gambling boat down on the river, God's going to take care of that and you don't have to worry about it. Your job is to give it. And once you've given it, it's in God's hands after that. <clears throat> but tithing and giving or lack of it becomes an issue of, a heart, of the heart and then it becomes an issue of salvation. Our text reveals the first record of tithing that is recorded in the Bible and is found in Genesis chapter 14. Abram had just won a courageous battle in which he was able to retrieve and save his nephew Lot and all of his lost possessions. By way of giving thanks to God, Abram gave one-tenth of all he had to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which was also a priest. What is significant about this is that this preceded the giving of the law to Moses by approximately 400 years. So tithing did not begin as a Mosaic law or a byproduct of the law of Moses, nor should it be viewed as such. I've heard a lot of people argue that when Jesus died on the cross, he did away with all that law of Moses stuff. This was established before the law of Moses was. 
So as time went by, Abraham's grandson Jacob, the one through which the covenant would be fulfilled, also pledged to give a tenth unto God. He said in Genesis 28, And this stone, which I set for a pillar, Jacob said, shall be God's house. And of all that, uh, all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. That was Jacob's word referring to tithing. So this was long before the giving of the law of Moses. The law of Moses simply joined in with the practice of Abraham and Jacob and regulated the amount of the tithe. So the law taught us that we are equipped to do what we are equipped to do as a minimum and also what God considered generous. I want to say that again. The law taught us what we are required to do as a minimum but what God considers generous. So when you give 10% to the Lord, perhaps God is considering you to be a very generous person. So Abraham taught us, the law taught us that. Abraham taught us that we ought to give 10% just simply by faith. You give because you believe in God and you trust in God. The New Testament says faith without works is dead and we cannot please God without faith. Our works are then what is pleasing to God because it proves our faith in him. So one of Abraham's works was tithing of all that he had. Everybody say all that he had. Okay, that wasn't everybody. Everybody say all that he had. think I meant to say it louder. I just wanted everybody. Anyway, it's okay. You folks lighten up a little bit here tonight. I mean, smile. It, it's it's going to be okay. Abraham didn't give what was left after Uncle Sam got done with it. He didn't give what was left after the state of Louisiana and Social Security got done with it. Bible said he tithed all that he had. And he was, he was doing it to express thanksgiving to the Lord. So why is it called a tithe? Tithe means one-tenth or a tenth part of the whole. Tithe means a tenth of the whole not a tenth of what's left over. Everybody feel me? Okay. It's not a, what's left over. Okay. So how did Abraham know? How did he know to give one-tenth of all that he had? Who instructed him to do that? Where did he get the understanding of tithe? I don't think there were decimals back in that day. And in fact, 12 as far as God concerned is concerned, and when you read the scripture, the number 12 had more meaning than 10, so why not give a 12th? There were 12 tribes of Israel, on and on, 12 disciples, 12 apostles, on and on. What was it that caused Abraham and Jacob to offer 10% or a tithe of all, a tithe of all, to God long before it ever became a law, that is through the law of Moses? So even though they gave out of their faith in God, there had to be something else that taught them what tithe was. 
there had to be some custom or recognized practice that they were patterning their giving after. There was there some law of Noah that they might be following? Was it simply common sense? Or was it possibly taken from some of the cultures that surrounded them? I believe that there's some truth in all of these possibilities. Tithing was practiced in Babylonia even before Abraham was born. Tithing records have been found in Egypt and Greek literature before the Trojan War in the 13th century. It was also found in early Roman records. This practice had to have been based on a common source, and it's reasonable to conclude that God taught man from the very beginning what portion belonged to him. But for the benefit of the doubter, since it is not recorded in Scripture, I will not base my teaching tonight on these facts that I just gave you. And I also admit that we do not find any specific law of tithing in the book of Genesis. In fact, we don't find laws about the Sabbath day in Genesis either. Genesis is called the book of the beginnings, not the book of the law. So there's enough, though, in Scripture, in a Scripture in the book of Genesis that lets me know that God had established a set of laws that were recognized by Abraham long before the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 5, notice this verse. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, God said, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So there had to be something in place that Abraham was obeying, which undoubtedly included tithing. So apparently Abraham must have known that the tithe was due to God because of some laws that God had established with Abraham. Yes, it was his choice to follow those laws, but God apparently established them long before the law of Moses. So could these laws of Abraham also have been the law of Moses? Moses did write both Genesis and Exodus. So all throughout the book of Genesis, there were men and women who knew what adultery was, and they knew that it was wrong to lie and to steal the law of Abraham Whatever it was, was in effect in the book of Genesis because people, the Bible is clear, live certain lifestyle based on it and then God destroyed the earth because of a complete debauchery of man uh, because of their sin and disobeying uh, pre-existing, predetermined law. So it's very possible that the Mosaic law and the laws of Abraham's day were one and the same because we know that God never changes. So Abraham had a record of obeying the laws of God. That doesn't mean that it wasn't a one-time thing. Abraham's life spoke to the faithfulness of his obedience to God's laws, and we could comment about that for a little while tonight. The Bible does say in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, For I know him, and he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So there had to be a law or a certain set of commandments that Abraham was obeying for God to make this commitment and promise to him. Does that make sense to everybody? 
So Abraham had proven himself to God over time and God knew and expected that Abraham's children would do the same thing that Abraham did. That is why Jacob tithed. So today as Christian people, we're known not as the children of Moses, but the children of Abraham. Galatians said, Paul said, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Jesus said, If you are children of Abraham, you are expected to do the works of Abraham. He said in John chapter 8, They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So it's clear to me that we are called to do the works of Abraham and nothing less will please God. So Abraham tithed to God long before he was circumcised and that tells me that one of the first steps of obedience to God is tithing. Everyone who ever comes to God is expected to do the same. If you want to be a child of God, you must do the works of Abraham. So the first record of giving to the Lord is found in Genesis chapter 4. The Bible said, And Abel also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but Cain unto Cain and to his offering. He had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. It's interesting to me, and this is called an offering. I don't want to in any way try to misguide along this line. It was an offering. The Bible is very clear to that, but it is interesting to me that Abel brought the firstlings of his flock. He brought the best, the first, the most valuable, the most meaningful. The first of what was meaningful to him is what he brought. Again, this was not a tithe but an offering, but this offering was not a law, but it was giving out of faith and commitment to God. So notice that God accepted one and rejected the other. God is establishing an important principle here. Thousands of years before the law of Moses was ever established, the principle was this. Bring me your first part. Bring me your best part. That's why I want to go back to what I said a few moments ago. The Bible said Abraham tithed all he had, not what was left over, not what he could afford because he was thankful to God. He had an attitude of gratefulness towards God. So from that day until this, God does not accept just any offering. God accepts the first fruits. He accepts our best efforts. That is what our tithe is. It is our first fruits. And God is still requiring the same of us today because God never changes. God is not interested in leftovers and your meager substance when it's all Everything else has been spent on what you want to do. It's the first. You take the first tenth. And what you're telling God when you pay tithe is that, God, I'm going to give you the first tenth of my income. And I'm going to trust you that you're going to provide and make a way for me with the remaining 90%. I've learned a long time ago, a long time ago, that I can do far more with God's blessing on 90% than what I can do with 100% without it. So let's talk about tithing under the law, under the law of Moses. So throughout Israel's history, the people often backslid from God and his laws. There was no question that tithing was included 
and the law of Moses, and nobody disputed that. When the people chose not to pay their tithe, their land was cursed. We say often, often, often that God will bless you if you tithe. Try me and see, he said. We'll read that at the end in a few moments. But we don't read the rest of that chapter where he said, I will curse you with a curse if you don't do it. <laughs> it's not funny, but in a way it is. Somebody came to me when our church was in Baker years ago. Some of you know this story, know this person, keep your mouth shut. I don't even know where they live now. But this person walked in and very sincerely and very honestly walked into my office one Wednesday night before church and he said, uh, Pastor, I just want to let you know I can't pay my tithes. I just can't afford it. And sometimes you know when the way people say stuff, their attitude and spirit and whatnot, there's no point in arguing. I said, okay, God bless you. I appreciate you letting me know. Two weeks later, on a Wednesday night, at the church a little early, came off and said, Pastor, walk outside with me a minute. Walked outside, and there's a pretty brand new red pickup truck sitting there. So what do you think of my truck? He said, it's beautiful. I didn't mention tithing. I didn't throw it up in his face. About a month later, on a Wednesday night, he came back to my office, and his face was as long as a Missouri mule. <clears throat> he virtually had tears in his eyes. He said, Pastor, you ain't going to believe this, but I was going down the airline highway today. And somebody piled in the back of my brand new truck and totaled it out. And the insurance ain't going to give me enough money to buy another one. I've learned a little principle about this curse thing that God talks about. If you don't give him his portion, he ain't going to let you keep it either. Somewhere along the line, the washing machine's going to break, the transmission's going out, the wind's going to blow shingles off your roof, something's going to happen. And we're, uh, there's people doing this right now. Say, honey, I told you. I told you. <clears throat> when God said it, he meant it. You're just better off to go ahead and bite the bullet and say, God, I trust you with everything I've got. When you get your paycheck, you write out 10% of the whole amount. You tithe all that God's given you. And you write that out and say, I'm trusting you to take care of me the rest of the month. See what he does. See what he does. These folks over here, Greg and Carla Turpin, are a mighty, 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 mighty amazing testimony of God just opening the windows of heaven, is he not? These people are heroes to me. It's an amazing, amazing story, and they've given me permission, permission to refer to that. When the people chose not to pay their tithe, their land was cursed. The people were cursed and the whole nation of Israel was cursed over tithing. So let's read one of the accounts. And this is the one I just referred to. And no, this isn't going to be the end. I just changed my mind. I got 14 more minutes. In Malachi, sorry to get your hopes up. But in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, <clears throat> will a man rob God? We've all heard this. We've heard this scripture setting over and over. People still don't believe it. Still don't believe and they don't do it. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, he said. But you say, wherein or how have we robbed thee? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. 
Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, all of them, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. This is the only thing you can do where God said, prove me. But he said, prove me. If I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And if you do, if you'll go ahead and pay your tithes, I'll get rid of the curse or whatever, and I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you have been a delightful, delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So at this point in the history of Israel, we find that the whole nation is backslid from God once again. God actually confronts them specifically about their robbing God. They are robbing God. You're not robbing the preacher. You're not robbing the church. You're robbing God. So if this same question, will a man rob God, were asked of us today, I'm sure that you would agree with me saying, no, 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 no way would I ever rob God of anything. To consider doing so would be just totally ludicrous. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments comes to mind, thou shalt not steal. That includes from God. Of course, we know that this is one of the moral laws of God that never changes, that yet God attaches the moral law to the laws of tithing when he says, you have robbed me. It's immoral to rob God. God goes on to say, you're cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Our own laws of this wonderful state, we can't rob and steal. You'll go to jail if you rob and steal from people. You will if you get caught. The moral law is still in effect today. If robbing God 3,000 years ago was wrong in Malachi chapter 3, then robbing God today is still wrong. But if we cheerfully bring our tithe and offering into the storehouse, look what happens in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring all ye the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room to receive it. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes and so on. This is what God promised to do if you do it. <clears throat> I'll never forget, uh, again, when our church was in Baker. Somebody came to me one Sunday after church going through a very legitimate, very difficult time. Things had truly fallen apart in their life, and they said, Pastor, when will God ever bless me for tithing? I kind of stood there for a few seconds with my face hanging out and I didn't know what to say, only to say that God never, he's never slack concerning his promise. So if you'll hang on to that promise and not quit, God will bless you. And I can stand here today and tell you that person has been tremendously blessed through the years. As I understand, they own properties and what have you, and God has blessed that person tremendously. You may go through tough times. But David said, I was young and now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken for a seed out begging bread. God will take care of you if you'll do it. He will. There's times in my own personal life that I went through some very difficult times. Sister Murphy and I financially, one of the most embarrassing, degrading times that I've had as a man is when my sister pulled up my driveway with a carload of groceries. When she found out we didn't have enough money to go buy a gallon of milk for our babies. 
My mother gave me a tongue lashing for that. And my attitude was this. I got myself into it. I'll get myself out of it. It's kind of stupid. But nonetheless, that was my posture. And, but we did not cease to tithe. And we still gave to the church. We gave to the kingdom. And God took care of us. One of the greatest stories that's happened to me, and it's, it's, it's small, all things considered, but it, it made an impression on me. We didn't have any money. <clears throat> we were paying a half of a utility bill back then. I had a foreign mission service, and Sister Murphy and I were sitting in the choir loft at the first church on Victoria, and we were both bawling and sobbing and wanting to give something to our foreign missionaries, and we didn't have nothing. And we virtually kind of looked at each other at the same time. And both said we'd like to give $100. We didn't have it. It's easy to give $100 when you got it sitting in the bank. But when you don't have it, it's just a step of faith. The following weekend, a man that I'd worked with for several years called me and he said, man, I got a surveying job coming up this weekend. Can you help me? I said, I'd be happy to. He paid me $150. On top of that, we got a rebate in the mail from some company that we had been paying and had to put a down payment center. We, we made like two and a half times over what we committed. I look back now and wish we had committed a million. <clears throat> Anybody ever had that moment? But my point is, is God took care of us. We didn't go bankrupt. We didn't lose our house. We didn't lose our vehicles. And we got caught up on our utility bill. God took care of us. And he didn't send give us a million dollars, but he gave us, provided for us what we needed. So let me continue. I have about seven minutes left. So let's talk briefly about tithing after the law of Moses, which is applicable to us tonight. As already stated, the Bible said that in Romans 4, that in the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. Are we not also to walk in the steps of of the faith of our father Abraham. Jesus endorsed the works of Abraham when he said, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the work of Abraham. If Paul admonished us to follow in the steps of Abraham and Jesus also endorsed his work, then we also ought to walk in the steps of our father Abraham. This is a New Testament command. So if Abraham did it, we should do it. So there's many who teach that tithing had been abolished by with the, the law of Moses, nowhere in Scripture do we find such teaching. In fact, the red writer of Hebrews declares in Hebrews 7 that, and here men that die receive tithes, but, he, but, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. He that liveth is Jesus Christ. We give our tithes to him that live, that is Jesus. Jesus also endorsed tithing himself in Matthew 23. Uh, when he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, and so on. If tithing began before the law and was endorsed and practiced before the law, then nobody can argue that tithing was abolished with the law. And we established that earlier in the Bible study. If we do, you're arguing with Jesus. Again, Abraham gave tithe to Melchizedek on behalf of the Lord, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and also the priest of the Most High God. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 7, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. There's that all word again. 
So from the very first mention of tithe in Genesis 14 to the very last mention of tithe in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 9, the tithe has always been God's plan to support the priesthood or the ministry. So in the paying of tithe to Melchizedek, God demonstrated that the tithe is only properly paid to him when it is paid to an ordained representative of him for the representative's own sustenance. The tithe always went to the ministry in whom, uh, who in turn were able to continue the work of the Lord in ministry. Nowhere in the Bible do we find any new plan to support the ministry. Tithing has always been and will always be God's financial plan to provide for his work. Uh, I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. I think all of you get the point, but I want to conclude on this. When Sister Murph and I went to the, I'll call it Grove Conference, they call it an intensive, but make it easy, I'll call it Grove Conference in Birmingham, I suppose five or six years ago, uh, as we were going through that conference, um, Pastor Chris Hodges made the statement, this conference, let me back up, this conference was designed and put together for church who ran a thousand or less to give you tools that you could grow your church. We've imp implemented a lot of that here, and we've grown. We've grown about 100 people since we uh, implemented this and are still growing. But he made the statement. Uh, he said, I'd like to recommend to all of your churches, all of you pastors that you do this, he said, Church of the Highlands gives 10% of every dime, every penny that comes into that church, and I believe him. He gives 10% of it back outside of the church to mission-related things, to support ministries, legitimate ministries, and so on. Sister Murphy looked at each other, she and I looked at each other and said, you know what, we need to do that. We're going to do that at Grace Church. Now, making that commitment back then, we had not long bought this building, and we didn't have a lot of people, and we had a lot of expenses. But we committed, and we still do that to this day. 10% of every dime that comes into this church goes back out of this church to help support missionaries, a long list of things that we support people with. Since that time, our church, our gross church income has grown every year since that time. It's never, we've never had a year where it was less. This year's on track. Last year, 2019, is, it's still growing. And then God has blessed Grace Church. So, as you remember, in August of 2019, we had a church business meeting, and we elected to put the construction of the church dorms at the campground on hold to pay off our campus. We agreed and committed in that business meeting to set ourselves on a very disciplined two-year course to have this campus paid off in two years. That was last August. Lord willing, we'll have this campus paid off this coming April in about nine months. Now, when Sister Murphy and I and, and Brian Tier sat down at lunch and he presented the plan, he presented the plan, he said, I believe we can do uh, our building payment plus another $13,000 a month. And I'm like, <coughs> I don't know what document you're looking at. A lot of money. It's a lot of money to me. It may not be to you, but it's a lot of money to me. And I still got life bills to pay and, you know, stuff going on. But we committed. 
having no idea, having no idea, no idea that God would open the windows of heaven. And since August, there's been folks in this church that have given astronomical amounts of money. And we put all of that towards the paying off of this campus. And that's why we're going to pay it off this coming April. Why did God do that, do you think? Because God is committed to his word. When you pave your tithes, he said he would open the windows of heaven. I encourage business owners to do it. You do it on your own personal income, but if you own a business, tithe your business and see what God does for your business. And you, you, you may not grow and be the next you know, worldwide McDonald's, but when you go through lean times, God's going to take care of you. It's just smart. Who's the guy that owns Chick-fil-A? Uh, the big whoop restaurant that everybody goes to now? I still don't see it. They're real friendly, but they need to get their food to catch up a little more with, you know, what have you. It's a great company, but they've done this for years and years and years, and they don't open on Sunday. Why do you think God has blessed them? Last year, they were voted to be the number one fast food restaurant chain in America. Why do you think that happened? Why? God blesses the tither. God blesses tithing. So if you'll do it, and you do it right, you do it consistently, and you do it cheerfully, God will pour you out a blessing that you won't be able to maintain. You'll be amazed. By show of hands tonight, if you don't mind, is there anybody here besides Sister Murphy and I that have been blessed tremendously because of tithing through the years? Look at that. Look at the witnesses all over the building. These folks aren't coerced and all of that. God blesses you when you pay your tithes. Here's my last comment in light of what I preached Sunday and uh, what I've been teaching on for the past number of Wednesday nights. I don't believe you can be right with God unless you do. I don't care what else you do. The Bible said if you don't do it, you're robbing God and stealing is a sin. Just like committing adultery and telling lies and all that, it's the same thing. And God knows your heart. So when you write out token amounts and call it tithes, I called somebody in one time and I said, how are you doing this? They said, what? I said, you're only living on like $500 a month. I said, no, I'm not. So that's what you're tithing. That's what your tithing said. Because you're only giving about 50. So how are you making it on 500 a month? Oh, I'm like, oh, well, you need to tithe the whole thing, all of it, if you want the blessing part of it. Well, wasn't quite as bad as last Wednesday. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. You're so, I love Grace Church. Y'all are amazing people. So let me say it this way. I didn't bring, I, I did bring the cotton candy machine. I just didn't plug it in. So uh, we'll, we'll just leave it right there. God bless you guys. Thank y'all so much for being here. Love Grace Church. Give the Lord some appreciation tonight, will you? Thank the Lord.
Thank the Lord. God bless you. Be dismissed from the seated position. Rise and greet somebody and love on somebody.